In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of God for the people of God. When I was a younger man, I enjoyed going over and floating down the Illinois River, over by Tahlequah. When I was just a boy, my parents and my uncles used to take us over there. We had wonderful times. You could rent a canoe and climb in and stay on the river for three days, two days, spend overnight, go for a half a day, lots of opportunities. Well, I enjoyed going, and when we were floating, often we'd get a little tired of the paddling, and we'd decide we might just lie down in the canoe and see how we did. We'd kind of go with the flow. It went all right for a while, but inevitably, we're floating, enjoying it, it's relaxing, it's fun, and then the river would turn, and the current would keep going, and we would plow right into a mud bank. It was rather an abrupt stop. If we just relaxed and waited before long, the current would keep pushing us, and we'd move on down the river. Only usually by then, we're floating down backwards. Nothing good's going to come of that. But other times, we didn't hit such an abrupt stop. We'd be floating, and the current would slowly just push us closer and closer to the rocky edge, and we'd kind of be pushed up on a rocky beach, not as an abrupt a stop, but nonetheless, progress is halted. Of course, the other way to float is to actually use your paddles to guide the canoe. You can still enjoy the current and the floating, and yet you have a little clearer sense of direction, a little more purpose. You're trying to guide the canoe in a certain spot to get to a certain place. One way is just floating down the river without goal or destination, just waiting to see what might happen. The other way is a journey with a purpose. These wise men we read about today are on a journey with a purpose. 
their goal is to find the Christ child. They're looking for this one that they want to meet, that they want to worship, to pay him homage, as the text says, to revere him. They are searching for one they believe to be greater than themselves so that they might pay him homage. They come with pure hearts, with a desire to worship and honor this one who's been born. Contrast that with King Herod that the gospel also tells us about. He acts as if he's interested as well, that he wants to go and pay this Christ child, this king of the Jews, homage as well. But remember, Herod is king of the Jews, so he's got to be wondering, who is this? What is this happening, that there's another that's been born that the prophets say or is going to be king? Will he replace me? And so he begins to inquire of these wise men, finding all that he can out about what's going on. But he's manipulating them, right? He's lying to them when he says he wants to go and honor this one as well. He's really trying to protect his own power, his own position. Herod is a very poor model for someone living their life. But the wise men, I think the wise men can help us. They're doing several things that we should know. They're taking responsibility for their lives. They have a clear purpose in mind. Plus, they're taking positive steps to move toward their purpose. They're seeking the Christ child, this king of the Jews, the one that Matthew tells us the prophets have said is going to be the ruler, the one who's coming to shepherd the people. What rules your life? Are there higher values or purposes to which you conduct yourself by? You make decisions in terms of when you're choosing certain behaviors that you consult in your own mind and heart? Are you just allowing fears and threats and insecurities to rule your life? Or is there something greater, a clearer purpose, something stronger and more important that guides and leads you through your lives? Well, as I was saying earlier, as I was reading through this text, but all the ones for January and on into February, I kept thinking to myself, the lessons in these sound a whole lot like what Stephen Covey wrote. You might remember Stephen Covey. He was a professor and an author. He died back in 2012 but years ago he wrote what became his bestseller of all time the seven habits of highly effective people now he wrote other books as well but this was really the centerpiece of his work that sold more than all the others the seven habits of highly effective people i put it in your outline i find myself going back to that over and over tom campbell who's a member here first introduced me to that book years ago when i was on staff here i read through it then went to a couple of seminars even taught a couple of seminars about it covey talks about these seven habits as timeless principles or universal principles that people have practiced throughout the ages to be effective in their living in their relationships in their careers our texts kind of parallel that 
The one I thought of when I was reading through this was the very first habit Stephen Covey talks about. Covey says the first habit is to be proactive. That's compared to being reactive. He means by proactive, taking responsibility, making choices. He says too often people go through their lives thinking things happen and they have to react immediately. But he says that's not really the way it is with humans. There is a time where we can pause and think about things. He says to be proactive is to recognize that God has endowed us with the ability to be self-aware, to be self-reflective. So as we go through our journey of life, we can stop, we can pause, we can think, we can weigh alternatives, we can use our imaginations. We can seek God's guidance before we make a decision or make a choice. That way we can be proactive, as he says. We can choose, like the wise men, to go on a journey. Here, as we turn the calendar, it's easy to think back about last year and think about where we want to go this year. What about you in 2016? Are you just floating along without destination or goal or purpose, seeing what's going to happen next? Or are you on a journey with a purpose? Do you have a higher purpose in mind, a sense of calling even, perhaps, from God? Many of you were here in December and heard me talk about a guy named John Kralik. He tells about his life in a book recently published. He says he found himself one December in a terrible place. His business was failing. He was an attorney, ran his own law practice. And he said he, when he looked at the books that December, so many people had not paid their bills. It's not that they hadn't done enough work. They just hadn't had enough income. And he didn't know if he was going to be able to even pay his employees through the end of the month, let alone give them the bonuses that he had always wanted to do and usually did. He says he's gone through two divorces and his girlfriend had just broken up with him and he felt lonely. He moved out of the house after the second divorce. He said, I was living in this cramped little apartment. He said, I was even lonely because I'd let the relationships with my children deteriorate. He said that December, finally, one day, he went walking up in the hills outside of Los Angeles where he lived, trying to figure out what to do, having a sense of despair and depression. And he says he's not a religious guy, but a voice spoke to him. He said it was distinct and clear. And the voice said to him, quit focusing on what you don't have. Focus on what you do have. And he said he just couldn't ignore the voice and he began thinking about his life in a little bit of a different way and for the next several days he reflected on what this message was about and how he might begin to practice it and he said during that time he received a thank you note he said it was particularly well written and moved him when he read it and he said i had the thought that one of the ways i could focus better in the coming year on the things that i have is to write some thank you notes like this one. He determined to write a thank you note every day in the coming year. So he was committing to 365 thank you notes. 
the book that he's written tells the story of how he got started, but then follows him through that year and a few subsequent years. And he tells about how beginning to write these personal thank you notes changed his life. And how dramatic things began to happen to him that he had never experienced before. I've put the name of his book in your outline. A Simple Act of Gratitude. How Learning to Say Thank You Changed My Life. So he determined to start writing the thank you notes. He began to write them every day, sometimes two or three, miss a day, write a couple of more, all the way through the year. And he says positive things began to happen all around him. Stephen Covey would say, but of course, because it's always a better strategy to focus on making decisions about our own behavior and the things we can control versus trying to control others. Kralik says he realized he cannot control other attorneys. He cannot control the judges. He cannot control his ex-spouses. He could not even control his own grown children. He said, but he did realize he had a choice to make, and that his choice was to be more grateful, and he was going to practice it every day in the coming year. Covey says, when we get to that point in our lives where we're focusing on ourselves and the choices we can make, we're working inside what he calls the circle of influence. He says so often people get overwhelmed by all the things in their lives, all the things happening in the world, the international violence and terrorism or the economy's ups and downs or violence in cities or broken things at work that we really don't have any control over. He says so much better to recognize who and what we can control and to focus there on our circle of influence. We can choose to be like the wise men and go on an intentional journey with a purpose in 2016. We can choose to seek the Christ child, as did the wise men. We can choose to let Christ rule in our lives in this coming year. We can choose to embrace God's love that's offered to each and every one of us through Jesus Christ. We can choose to live a life of faith and love and generosity and kindness. We can choose to make and keep commitments. Covey tells the story in another one of his books, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families, about a farmer who was raising a couple of boys. He said when they got old enough, he gave each of them some cows out of the herd. He said to them, now, these are your cows. You're to take care of these. You have to make sure they have food and water every day. You have to check them to make sure they're not injured, that they stay healthy. The decisions you're going to be make will ensure that they thrive or not. Now, he gave them some instruction, gave them some help, but basically was helping them learn to take responsibility for something. And so they went after it with zealous hearts. But any of you who have had children and brought home a pet for the child to take care of, you know it's kind of a bumpy road. Sometimes they do really well and are very attentive. 
Other times they fail. They forget their responsibilities. They neglect the animal. Or they get tired and bored and think they don't want to deal with it anymore. Well, these boys were no different. Sometimes they did really well. Other times not so well at all. Well, one day one of the neighbors who was a farmer came driving down the road past this fellow's farm. He was out working in the fields. The guy stopped, got out of his truck, and waved him over. He walked over to him, and the neighbor farmer began to criticize the boys and how they were taking care or not taking care of these cows. He had a whole list of things that he had noticed they were not doing right. The father listened attentively, kind of shook his head. By the time the fellow was finished with his rant, the farmer was kind of smiling. He finally said, thank you so much for your concern. But I think you've misunderstood. I'm not raising cows. I'm raising boys. It is so easy to forget what the main purpose is on our life's journey. And get caught up in all the other things that go on around us. The wise men are focused on a goal. They're not sure where it's going to lead them, but they are committed to following through because they desire to go and pay homage to this child born king of the Jews. Herod is interested in the child being born, but for a whole other set of reasons, he's so threatened and frightened he wants to lash out. He wants to end this threat to protect his own power, control, wealth. He wants to make decisions based on his benefit alone. Matthew doesn't tell us any more about Herod in this passage, but he tells us that the wise men do go and find the Christ child. And when they realize they've found the place, they're overwhelmed or filled with joy. And they offer their gifts to this child that has been born. May our journeys be the same in this coming year, that our journeys might lead us ever closer to the Christ child, so that we too might have that experience of being filled with joy and see the opportunities to give our gifts to this child born to us. I was thinking how we were here just two weeks ago. This great choir, the symphony orchestra, was here. And they were performing sections of Handel's Messiah. And one of them, they sang to us. But there is a child that is born unto us. A son given to us. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. May we receive him in this year.